Hey, hey, Paul, how you doing? It was special. It was recorded in my car in a car park in Birmingham. Oh, quality. <laughs> yeah, it was good. You've um, got a recording studio in your car. Well, I did have for that day because Neil works in radio and he brought a recording studio with him. It's only a little one, but remarkably effective. Um, I was I was very happy to be a, a guest on that show, but we'll we'll talk about that later. I guess we should talk about the football first. We're talking about you hanging around in car parks. Yeah, it was great. Very good. Uh, maybe there's a new uh, Netflix series in it for you. You, know. <laughs> you might not be Seinfeld, but yeah, pod. Oh, um, um, podcasters in cars talking about podcasts. Um, so a long time ago, um, Jack McEnroy, host of the dearly beloved and much missed South London Hardcore podcast, um, suggested podcasters on bicycles drinking lilt as an alternative. But unfortunately, lilt is not vegetarian, so I would not have been able to partake. Lilt is not vegetarian. What have they got in there? Some dead cow. Yeah, I mean, this is this is information from a very long time. Does Lilt even... I'm not 100% confident that Lilt even exists anymore. I've not seen a can or an advert for a long time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was good. It was but, good but I'm shocked how a can of fizzy pop can not be vegetarian. You'd be amazed. I, well, I am. <laughs> shocked, I tell you. Shocked. <laughs> Were you shocked that we... Um, extended our stay at the WO hotel to seven nights <laughs> no no because uh, as as we predicted on last week's show we f- smashed them <laughs> or something like that it was, it was well uh, for the first half we did squeaky bum time in the end wasn't it well i mean i've seen an awful lot of criticism about the performance and we barely gave up a chance. We gave up one chance, basically, of any significant merit. So it, it was it was very nerve wracking by the end of the game, and definitely like the atmosphere in the stadium was really the the change that came over the atmosphere of the stadium when Brighton scored was palpable. But um, but you know, it was all right, wasn't it? I mean, we smashed them in the first half, and oh, also. Yeah. For the first, like, 15 minutes of the second half, we kind of carved open a load of chances too. Yeah, um, look, I wouldn't want to sound too negative about this because I thought United were very good in the first half, creating an awful lot of chances, like, more than 20 chances in the game anyway. The problem was converting those chances into actual shots on target. There weren't very many for a very long period of that game and, and not very many in total. And And the fact that in the second half, United weren't able to control midfield in quite the way that had been the case in the first half and Brighton came into the game more and more. Now, of course, they were playing in front of United and really didn't create any chances of note themselves, as you say, except for that one. And even that wasn't a great chance. Um, but but it was just it was just the fact that United didn't dominate in the way that they did in the first half and Brighton came more and more into it. But as we, look, as we noted on last week's um, thorough and in-depth preview... Yeah, they're a good side, Brighton. They've got some good players. They're not going to get relegated this season. They have trouble scoring goals, and you can kind of see why. They just don't create enough. Um, but this was following a pretty nervy last half an hour against Tottenham. This seemed to fall a pa- fall into a pattern. Although I don't know whether two games is a pattern when the real pattern, of course, is W W W W W W W W. Yeah, I mean, listen. Sorry to get nerdy this early in the show and start talking about data but like the xg 
shows a very dominant tail for United at 2.56 to 0.61 XG in terms of chances created. Now, that's 2.56 including the penalty, but still means even excluding the penalty, we're pushing like... 1.8-ish, yeah. yeah. So yeah. It's, it, it was a... Uh, it was a game of substantial chances created. I mean, uh, the two big chances that didn't end up being a goal were the Lingard one from the Rashford cross, which watching it live, I thought that Lingard was like at full stretch and it was really understandable that he'd missed it. But when I watched it on the highlights, it's a bit of a bit of a bad miss from Jesse, really, isn't it? I guess so. I mean, Rashford absolutely leathered that cross in. I mean, yeah. it, it, on second viewing, you can see it's a cross. Uh, but on first time, it looks like he's having a shot. And he, he seemed to feel like shooting from absolutely everywhere Rashford did. Um, but uh, look, anyway, let's talk about the good part of uh, Marcus Rashford. Um, because uh, he's got an absolute blinder to uh, follow up on Paul Pogba's penalty. I mean, I know this, I'm definitely going to be... So like, oh, I was at the game about this game just because I'm so excited because I haven't been to a game all season. But I was in tier two of the Stretford end and that goal was scored at the Stretford end. I was just like looking basically straight down on that goal. And it was hard to process what had happened because it didn't look possible that from where he was, the ball could have ended up in the net where it ended up in the net. Then you watch it on TV, filmed from directly behind him, and it still barely looks possible. Oh, no, that's right. I mean, not only has he got a huge amount of whip on the ball to bend it around those two defenders, and you don't see from the normal camera angle, you you don't really see how little space there was, well, because there was none. Uh, But from, as you say, from behind the shooter, you, you see he's had to bend it, but at an extreme pace as well. I mean, we're really seeing uh, Marcus Rashford grow into himself now, aren't we? He's uh, at, uh, talking of XG and data, um, he's at uh, sort of about 0.56 over the last, uh, well, under Oli Solskjaer, which is quite a lot higher than under Jose Mourinho. And and think he can go further than that. Um, he's, uh, he, he's he's still learning the game. He's, he's still getting better as a player. Um, so... 0.56 amount of games he plays. That's 25 goals a season. He can become a 30 goal a season striker. Of course, he has to. He has to. He has to take this form now and transpose it over to a whole season. But why not? Oh, it's. it's I, I think that can definitely happen. I mean, so 14 games under you know, and six games under Solskjaer so far this season. Three goals under Mourinho, five under Solskjaer. Um, but the the key stat. I mean, you mentioned the XG, but the the key stat is, which is no doubt responsible for the uptick in XG, 1.9 shots per game to 4.8 shots per game. Right. And that's that's an absolutely dramatic turnaround in style of play. Now, of course, a lot of that is because he's playing centrally now. But the team as a whole, I haven't looked at the data, but if the team isn't taking vastly more shots now, then I'd be very, very surprised because it certainly feels like they're taking an awful lot more shots. Um, it, and- it does, and, and there aren't too many games where Jose Mourinho's United took 20 shots or so, uh, are there? So, um, and... and uh, it is because he's playing centrally, of course, but it's also, I think, uh, uh, under direction from Ollie, who wants him to take shots, also wants him to uh, stay relaxed while he's taking those shots. Pass it, don't blast it. Um, yeah, the funny funny thing is that this is not an original thought. I can't remember where I saw this, but actually that that goal 
wasn't that's not the new Rashford is it that goal was pure instinct wasn't it because if you kind of process it cerebrally you decide to do something other than shoot when you've got literally uh, the size of a ball hit at a perfect trajectory to aim at yeah true and I, I think in different circumstances he might have passed that inside or tried to get to the byline or something like that but he's super confident that's why he was taking quite a lot of shots at and the weekend course- we were one nil up by that point, um, thanks to Paul Pogba, who both won and dispatched a penalty, and Ashley Young with a brilliant tweet of him and Marcus Rashford looking worried, saying, "When you see him taking that run up, <laughs> yeah, I know, but it works for him." Yeah, it's brilliant and a, a lovely penalty. Um, before the game, of course, there was a, there was a, a moment of remembrance for Samat Busby, who uh, the anniversary of de- his death, I believe, was the twentieth of. January, which was the day after the game, um, which was uh, actually quite moving, I thought. And there was, uh, it was interesting how it was, um, how it was noted because the club, of course, kind of arranged for a minute of applause. And there was a big banner on the front of the stadium, which said forever grateful. And I was thinking about that quite a lot because, you know, I was thinking about how rarely we've ever talked about him on this show, which obviously makes sense because we're covering United from week to week but you know none of this happens without Matt Busby right he, he's absolutely integral to the story of Manchester United and it was it was nice to see it honoured and and one of the things that was noticeable was any basically any chant with uh, Matt Busby's name in it which is quite a lot was was given an airing in the sort of first 10 minutes of that game and I, fa- I found it all rather moving and 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 appropriate basically yeah I thought it was a, a lovely moment and I, I remember when he died 25 years ago. This is making me feel old now. I obviously don't remember him as a manager because I'm not that old. Hmm. Uh, but uh, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a lovely moment at Old Trafford 25 years ago, as I seem to remember. Uh, and uh, I thought it was uh, perfectly, uh, perfectly sort of timed and held moment of uh, appreciation for Sir Matt. Uh, and a very good performance from United in that first half to appreciate him too. You know. Yeah, the football taught by Matt Busby on on ample display, no longer feeling ironic. No, that's know? right. That's right. And look, and and in that first half, uh, I'm beautifully rounded off by Rashford. United were playing that kind of attacking, free flowing, chance creating football that we've uh, come to mostly know under Ollie and really want uh, and appreciate. Uh, and it felt like we were going to get the kind of result that we both had predicted last week. Not quite four nil FC, <laughs> but um, but that second half. The, where, where do you think the where do you think the drop off came from then in that second half? Because it, it wasn't the same performance by any means. I just wanted to very briefly mention one last thing about the first half, which was just the Lindelof ball for Martial, um, for that shot that we put Martial through one on one, and um, whoever the Brighton goalie is, I've got it here, David Button. Well, there you go. Would you could have given me a thousand guesses at that, and I wouldn't have got it right. Um, he, he outstretched his hand and did really well to kind of limit the space that Martial could fire into. But it was a a lovely chance and brilliant movement from Martial and a wonderful ball from Victor Lindelof. Um, so uh, the person that I was with, massive shout out to Glyn. Thank you for sorting me out with the ticket. Um, that was uh, much appreciated, and he was very good company as well, which was good. Um, and he just noted that the intensity had massively dropped off. In the in the kind of lead up to the goal in in that kind of second half period, um, and, and almost 
almost United were sort of cruising a little bit too much. Like they, they were almost a bit too certain of the result at 2-0 up, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Actually, Oli talks about complacency in the lead-up to the game, didn't he? As I seem to recall. And I think that's an important point. These players, it's not a lot of times in the last few years that these players have, as a group, have been intense all the way through. No. Yeah, very, very few games where you can think about that. And and United are going to have to find that. Uh, probably going to have to find it against uh, Arsenal uh, at the Emirates on Friday because maybe this is a rejuvenated Arsenal side having uh-huh. beaten Chelsea at the weekend. Uh-huh. Maybe not just the pushovers we expect them to be. Lads, it's the Gooners. Um, we'll come on to that one. Uh, and, and certainly going to have to find it against Paris Saint-Germain in the Champions League, which is yeah. coming up really, really soon. Um, I, I guess the, the only games that really we had it against Bournemouth and Huddersfield at the beginning of... No, not Bournemouth and Huddersfield. Huddersfield and Cardiff, those first couple of games, um, especially that Cardiff performance. But that was that was a very unique circumstance in a way. Um, and you, you can't read too much into that, that game. It was definitely missing. And I actually thought that Solskjaer's substitutions were not great and they definitely sort of further... Because when you take Lingard off for Mata, I'm pretty sure it was Lingard for Mata, the first substitution, and then Martial for Lukaku, which I thought was also a bit weird because I thought Martial was really growing into the game. And actually, I sort of feel like he kind of needs a goal. So keeping him on would have been good. But I guess guess Solskjaer and maybe the whole team had Arsenal in mind a little bit. Um, And and that was maybe part (coughs) of the reason they were trying to conserve a bit of energy. But I thought both of those substitutions took the sting out of us a bit. And... Mm. When you bring Mata on, he's such a different player from Jesse Lingard and and the whole shape of the team changes really dramatically when you bring Juan Mata on because there's just you know, there's just you just lose so much in physicality. And of course you gain guile and ability on the ball, but that didn't feel like that was what was really needed at that moment in the game. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, United set up in a different way than the previous game against Tottenham. This this wasn't the two up front with Lingard sort of as as the false nine behind them, ahead of them, in between them. This was much more of a sort of straight 4-3-3. And Lingard did a lot of running. I I don't think he was particularly effective, though. I mean, he's he's not really created any chances in the game. Uh, So I could understand the the change just to bring something new into the game. And And the other thing is that you'd expect Mata to... Uh, perhaps put his foot on the ball and slow the game down a little bit. And at that point in the game, Brighton were coming into it. So I can kind of understand the thinking. It didn't really work out, did it? Because I don't think Mata really contributed anything more than than Lingard did. Does he do that, though? Does Mata come off the bench, put his foot on the ball and slow the game down? Is that something that we've seen? No, two, two separate things. Two separate things there. He is he He does provide control with the ball, no doubt. And he will slow the games down. The game down. I'm not saying that the. Oh, I see. So you're not saying put his first, on the ball no, no. to slow the game down. Okay. No, right. I'm not saying United wanted to slow the game down. There's a consequence of matter coming on, uh, but what they did want was more control. Perhaps what should have happened is that matter should have gone into the centre, uh, just to provide just a little few more bodies in the middle. But look, that said, it's not like as we've already mentioned, it's not like United are under loads of pressure. Is just that Brighton had come into the game to make it more of an even contest. And also, like Romelu Lukaku, this is this is going to be fascinating to see what happens next. 
because to me, you know, that football is a zero-sum game, isn't it, when you're talking about a squad? And when Marcus Rashford is on absolute fire at centre-forward, you're kind of automatically relegating Romelu Lukaku to being United's second-choice centre-forward. And he's just not going to want to do that, is he? Um, well, he's not, and he only got five minutes of the weekend. Uh was it only five minutes? It yeah. felt it felt like much longer. I have to say, talk about nervousness. Um, definitely felt like longer that did. But you know, De Gea hardly had a save to make in this game, and um, it uh, there, there was one point where we sat so deep, and you could just see Victor Lindelof furious at everyone, shouting at him to push out, and kind of like almost literally shouting, "Look, he's gone, lads! You can push out now. We don't have to sit here when we're holding on to a one-goal lead." Um, no, true. And of course, one thing we didn't mention already was the fact that uh, United's shape was already disrupted in the warm-up with Luke Shaw coming down with an illness. I, I actually haven't read up any more on this. Was there any more explanation about why he was suddenly taken ill? No, I've got no idea what happened. But I did think Diogo Dalot played very well, actually. Um, and I, if I were in charge, I would be perhaps think minded to give him a bit of a run there because I'm not sure he isn't considerably better in the final third um, than Shaw is. I mean, Shaw's obviously experienced. I've got a bit of a little, a little bit You've of a Luke Shaw. You have got an agenda. I, I don't, I don't think that's fair. I, I, did did Dallow put a single ball in? I mean, he's cutting inside all the time. I know he's comfortable-ish on both feet, but he's he doesn't provide the same out that he does when coming from the right. I guess not, but um, I don't know. I thought our shape was quite nice for a lot of that game with him there. Um, I don't know. I Yeah, again, this might be agenda. Talking of which, I have no idea whether Nemanja Matic played well or not in that game. Talking of agendas that must uh, must continue. Um, but Ander Herrera did put in a really lovely tackle right late on when you know, were under loads of pressure and Paul Pogba just gave him a little ovation. <laughs> it's just... Just gave him a full-on round of applause for uh, for the tackle that he put in late, which was very enjoyable. Uh, as was the general atmosphere. I mean, obviously it got nervous in the second half, but the atmosphere in the first half was absolutely tremendous. It was tremendously buzzy and and a kind of real genuine enthusiasm and excitement to be watching this team play football again, which was uh, which was really nice. Very good. Very good. I mean, it, it is really nice to see United playing good football, scoring goals, winning games. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, yeah, Pogba can keep doing that run-up as long as he likes, as far just, as I'm just concerned. Just a quick note on Diego Dello. Yeah. Uh, no crosses, no chances created. Oh, no, sorry, I lie, I lie. One chance created. No crosses. Got an assist. Which one, which one was the assist? The ball inside for Rashford, that's not counting. <laughs> yes, it does. Of course it does. They all count. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, the, the chance he created uh, was for a 0.03 shot from about 25 yards. 0.03 yeah. XG shot from 25 yards for Paul Pogba. So. Not out of one take on successful. So, yeah, look, okay. he Look, he's a good player and I've got a lot of hope for Dallo. I, I think that's uh, or Dallot. Dello, not sure. Dello, still, Dello. still not sure. Uh, I, I have a lot more Dello. hope for him playing at right back than left back. Yeah. yeah. All right. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. So you can stuff your agenda. 
Good. I, I don't like having this agenda, by the way. I want this agenda to end. I want to be convinced. Um, but yeah. Um, talking of agendas, just very briefly, Jose Mourinho said a load of stuff. Almost all of it was absolute gibberish. Well, it was, I mean, this is his uh, lengthy spell on B in sports, which was, he was supposed to be commentating on the game, but they just cancelled the game and just had Jose Mourinho being interviewed the whole time, uh, which was really weird. Uh, and it was just narcissistic, self-absorbed nonsense with a total lack of self-awareness. There's a brilliant... There's a brilliant bit where he, he's making this point, which a load of people would have been like nodding along with, where he's sort of talking about how modern clubs need a structure. Like, A, first of all, are you telling me that you'd have been happy if they'd put a director of football in well, above you? He fought tooth and nail and, and uh, almost quit the club because they tried to do it at Real Madrid. So, no, he wouldn't have been. And then, secondly, like, as you're nodding along going, yeah, this all makes sense, you know, I do need a bit of structure, you realise that what the point that he's actually making is that it's impossible for the manager to have good relationships with the players if that structure doesn't exist. And then you're like, wow, (laughs) wow. All right, pal, all right. So so taken in isolation, if he was going to make an argument that United should probably modernise, still got the same system as the club had when Ferguson was in charge just with a less effective performer as CEO slash director of football in Ed Woodward than David Gill uh, and a much less effective manager in Mourinho rather than Sir Alex <laughs> Ferguson, then I'd buy it. I'd go, yeah, you know what? We, we need to you know, move the burden around. We need an expert in working the European transfer market. We need a long-term vision uh, for the club that runs throughout all the, the, the age group sides uh, and, uh, and that is a director of football or a technical director uh, who can help provide that continuity between managers. But he wasn't making that point at all. He wasn't. He was trying to make excuses. He's st- it's just, it's Mourinho all over. He still cannot accept that he got anything wrong. And, and what's going to happen now is some other stupid big club, uh, because he won't go to a small one because, you know, his ego wouldn't allow that to happen. Um, or at least a small club with a lot of money, I suppose. Uh, we'll take another chance. I mean, and exactly the same thing will happen. He'll win a couple of trophies. Maybe it will be a big trophy, depending on the club and their situation. And then he'll execute slash and burn. Uh, and he doesn't care what state he leaves the club in afterwards. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Jose Mourinho. It was total bollocks he was talking. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so, so nice not to have to deal with his nonsense every week. So so nice. Um, yeah, my favourite piece on all that, just to just underline it, is Danny Taylor's in The Guardian. Right. And, and you know, the only reason I mention it is just because it's his first big post-United interview. So, you know, the, the, the most recent United manager, apart from the good one, um, has given a big, long interview about his time at the club. So I should probably at least briefly mention that it happened. Um, another thing that has happened that Jose Mourinho will, uh, would have done, no doubt, is uh, Scott Matane's got a new contract. And cue much wailing and gnashing of teeth from uh, a lot of people who, um, you know, don't really rate McTominay. And I, I have to say, I'm not sure I really rate McTominay, but I do rate his mental strength. And I do think that his is the kind of position that, you know, we saw this with Darren Fletcher. This is, some, this is a bit like being a centre-back, isn't it? You can... You can expect to peak a bit later. Um, yeah, perhaps. So I mean, he's got a lot to learn. McCrabbenay, yeah. we should talk call him, because he, he just goes sideways all the time. Anyway, I, I, but, 
I, but, I'm struggling to love McTominay, but it, look, it makes a lot of sense from a lot of points of view. Maybe he'll come good, uh, and and if he does, you want him on a contract. Uh, and maybe he needs to get on loan so he actually gets some actual game time. Although uh, we're quite thin in midfield, and and Ollie kind of rubbish the idea of that. And at a minimum, it's asset protection. So there's no value in the asset if he has no time on his contract. And then the the other thing that I thought was probably worth bearing in mind is we've given an awful lot of players an awful lot of slack because they've only been man- because they were being managed by Jose Mourinho. So it might be interesting to see what McTominay's like under a proper manager. Manager's player of the year. <laughs> yeah, right. Doesn't get better than that. Manager's passive aggressive point scoring of the year. I, I wonder if Ollie's passive. Lee aggressively point scoring. Not only does he bring a McTominay on for Pogba, now he gives him a new contract. Yeah, possibly so. And in much bigger news, um, the rumours doing the rounds, thanks to, I believe, uh, quotes from his agent, uh, that Anthony Martial is almost agreed on a five-year deal at Man United, which would be absolutely fantastic news. It really would. Although I, I assume there's probably still some cultists out there that think we should sell him. I mean, they're not even worth giving any attention to whatsoever, are they? They're like people that don't believe in climate change or whatever. You know, it's just just stupid. You can't deny science. Anthony Martial is amazing. It's <laughs> just just science. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm not sure he could hold back uh, the uh, melting of the ice caps, but uh, <laughs> no, no, he can just... certainly score some bloody great goals. I just want to say, I did not in any way intimate or mean to imply if anyone inferred from what I said that Anthony Martial is somehow directly connected to climate change in any way. I want to say he's absolutely not. Very good. Very good. Because it's not man-made. No, come on. It's it's Chinese hoax. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, Yeah, so good win. A uh, big game at the weekend, but before we get to your questions and uh, uh, some sort of somewhat seriously taken seriously preview of the big game at the weekend, um, I, as I mentioned earlier, in a car park in Birmingham City Centre, I had the opportunity to hang out for a couple of hours with um, with Neil Brennan. Now, um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but I certainly meant to every week. Um his fantastic podcast, Roy Keane Versus, is is not like other football podcasts. It's not a breakdown of uh, week to week events or anything like that. Uh, the first episode, the first season, I believe, was six episodes, and he spoke to different people about different facets of Roy Keane's career, all uh, bracketed in the idea of Roy Keane versus this, that, or the other. So Roy Keane versus the Irish national team, these kinds of things. Um, brilliant. Six brilliant episodes, friend of the show, Darren Richmond, on one of them. Um, it's very enjoyable. Listen, Roy Keane versus Alfinger Harland was, of course, one of the episodes. Anyway, there's so much Roy Keane content that Neil Brennan has done uh, a second series of this. And I was I was delighted to be on uh, the episode, which I think might be the first episode's about to drop as we record this, um, which was Roy Keane versus Sir Alex Ferguson. And after we'd spent two hours talking about that, um, I had a little chat with Neil about his podcast uh, for the benefit of you, the good listeners to the Rankcast, and you can hear that now. Neil, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Th- uh, thanks for having me. It's honestly, uh, you guys make one of my favourite podcasts, and through some of the darkest times of my United fandom, 
you guys have been there to make me feel even worse. So thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. You're thank absolutely you. that welcome. That one's especially going out to Ed. Thanks, Ed. You've cheered me up too when it's been dark times. Yeah, so. we've we've just recorded um, my appearance, which I'm super excited to have made, on uh, your excellent podcast, Roy Keane Versus. So um, everyone that listens to this show should definitely go back and listen to the whole of season one and now get super excited for the season two coming out of Roy Keane versus could you tell me a little bit about the about what the podcast is and what your kind of initial impetus to make it was? yeah totally uh, it's funny there wasn't going to be a season two until the problem with Keane and the problem with I guess most of the listeners will know the problem with any of those great United heroes is once you start talking it's very hard to stop how do you do a season of episodes about Roy Keane which are each about like 40 odd minutes and feel like you haven't scratched the surface of some of the key moments. Like, I kind of realised, I, I haven't even talked about Keno at Forest. Like, what was it at Forest that made United sit bolt upright and pay a, a British transfer record for? What was it about this young guy who was smaller than everyone else on his football team and made it to the very top? All of those things have fascinated me. And obviously, as you can tell from the, Irish, uh, from the accent, I'm Irish. And so it was a sense of, like, to have somebody Irish who conquered the world, who was legitimately one of the best in the world, it just, it sort of has always been a curiosity to me. How did he get there? What paths did he take to get there? What what paths did he cross to get there with Keno is obviously the case. And it just became this case of there's so much here to talk about with Roy Keane. And so much that it's not just about, I think for me, the podcast is not just about what goals did Roy Keane score? What yellow cards did he pick up? It's about the emotions that he inspires in people. It's about like, why do some people hate Roy Keane? Why do some people love Roy Keane? Why do I think he's a hero and yet know he's a deeply flawed man? Uh, why, when he walked out on my country at the World Cup, did I think, yeah, good enough for you, Roy. You show them. You show them because you know better than everyone else. Why... Why does he mean so much to my dad? Why does he mean so much to me? With, with Keno and with some of the people he interacted with, Ferguson and Cantona, once you scratch the surface, there's just so much more to talk about. So I just thought, let's try and at least record some of this so it isn't just hot air wasted on a, on a Sunday in the pub, you know? So he's, um, he's your favourite player of all time, right? Yeah, he is. And it's funny, a lot of that's only in retrospect. I, when I started following United, it was Cantona all the way. Um, it was the class of 92 when I was kind of, you know when I was wearing my sarong no I never wore a sarong it was the class of 92 for like the peak era of my kind of teenage fandom and obviously I loved him the whole time and I knew how good of a player he was and it was only in retrospect and only after walking out on Ireland at the World Cup that you start to really put the pieces together and go as a personality this guy is way more interesting than a lot of these other players this guy has a lot more a lot more to talk about than a Nicky Butt as much as I love Nicky Butt there's just so much of Keane that we'll never know the answer to. And maybe that's the thing. The mystery of Roy Keane, the enigma of Roy Keane is something that just like, honestly, keeps me up at night. And I think on my like second date, I was talking to my now wife about how much I love Roy Keane. And it's like, I sort of wonder, was that an acid test? Was I trying to see like what she would say in response? And now she knows that like when I put on the tunnel video in Highbury and see him having a go at Patrick Vieira, it's because I just need a bit of cheering up. And that's, that's what I do. I don't talk to her about how I'm feeling. I watch a Roy Keane video on YouTube. Um, so the structure of the podcast is Roy Keane versus and then various different subjects. And obviously being like the nature of Keane things kind of go a bit freewheeling from time to time. Yes. But how did you go about selecting the things that you were going to do, Roy Keane versus? It, it, initially, it was just Roy Keane. I think I initially, my initial thought was Roy Keane versus the world because it just summed up his mentality. And, and 
now that he's not an active player and now that younger United fans are kind of getting to grips with this this legend that they've heard so much about and you know there's YouTube videos made by kids who I'm sure never saw a Roy Keane game in their lives and I wanted to kind of figure that out and it seemed like the simplest way to do that was to you know people are often defined by what they're in opposition to so you know we've we've chatted about Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson say and as much as they were drawn together by kind of you know universal <laughs> by the hand of God and by the connection that they forged by the similarities in their personality really you start to get the truth of the two men by when they fell out and, and, and what that reveals about them and so it was that and it was the Alfie and Gahan and just the more I said to people what do you think about when you think about Roy Keane it was always in what he was opposition to it was always what he was fighting against whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons whenever I said to people sum up Roy Keane it was about the battles he fought it was very rarely about those happy achievements uh, it was very rarely about the successes on the pitch it was about defining him by what he stood up against again for good or bad so having probably talked more into a microphone about Roy Keane than any other human on the planet except Alex Ferguson except, except Alex Ferguson what have you learned about both Roy Keane and your feelings about Roy Keane from doing it I think I've learned that <laughs> what I've learned about Roy Keane is that uh, he his the responses he uh, evokes in people are never predictable I think what I've learned about Roy Keane from doing the podcast is that you can never predict what people's responses to Roy Keane will be. I have sat down with people and I have thought, I know exactly what they think about Roy Keane. And within seconds of me putting forward that opinion, they're shaking their heads as if I've upset their family at Christmas. I've upset their, I've insulted their mother-in-law's turkey. And they're saying, no, no, no. How could you think that I would have that opinion about Roy Keane? And that goes for United fans. It goes for Ireland fans. It goes for Arsenal fans. Roy Keane, you can just never predict the response he will he will bring out in people. And I think that's what I've learned is that my version of events, my version of Roy Keane is no one else's version. And Paul, your version of Roy Keane is not Ed's version and Ed's version is not yours. And I guarantee it's not most of the listeners. Everyone sees that guy differently. He's a Rorschach test. He's a Royshack test. He is his he is his own version of himself, and we are just reflecting off it. We are just seeing something in him. And that's probably why he was my hero. And what I've learned about myself from doing it is honestly, genuinely, and I don't want to get too emotional here, is to shake off some of those preconceived notions I have, not just about Roy, but about other people. I think I've formed opinions about people and locked that in and said, that is who that person is. And if you can hold up your hero to the light and go, he's not who I thought he was at all. He's more complex and more rewarding. Then you can learn to do that with, you know, the guy, the cyclist who tries to cut across you in traffic or the teacher who you thought was the best teacher ever. You can just start to be a bit more human and to go, do you know what? It is more it is more complex than that. When we talked about Keane and Ferguson's relationship and how when it became bad, when it became nasty, both of them, it seemed, were able to just completely disregard all the good stuff that had gone before. And I think doing the podcast has taught me that no, let's, let's, you can't just chastise Keane and Ferguson for that. We've got to be better than that ourselves. We've got to, I sound like a cult leader now, the cult of Roy. Uh, we've got to, we've got to just see past those kind of, you know, those, you know, they broke the mold when they made Roy Keane. They break the mold when they make everybody. And you've got to be open to seeing that. All right. So top three Roy Keane Man United moments. Oh Christ, this is the problem. They're all going to be the bad ones. They're all <laughs> going to be him fighting people. Uh, it, it, okay. Number one with a bullet undeniably is the tunnel. Okay. That to me, as a young kid who was short for his size, the whole thing 
of finding out that he said to Vieira, pick on someone your own size, as he looked up six inches into Vieira's eyes, uh, is so inspiring. It's so, it's just badass. It just, I'm sorry. I know I sound like I'm reviewing an Arnie action movie, but what a dude to just have the gumption to say to Vieira, pick on someone your own size. And Gary Neville's probably, I think he's taller than Roy Keane. And, and Roy Keane didn't care. In the tunnel, it all being caught on camera, I just think it's just, it's a perfect encapsulation. And obviously it's from my, the defining rivalry of my United fandom anyway. Uh, number two, Roy Keane moment. I, do you know what I love about Roy Keane is when he first signed for United and he's still a young man, it's the terrible publicity photos that he posed for, right? There's one where I think they're announcing a, uh, an Old Trafford extension and it's Roy Keane in a builder's hat with a shovel over. And it's just a, a bygone era of not only like footballers doing naff stuff, but Roy Keane doing naff stuff. Can you imagine Roy Keane posing for that photo anywhere from like 98 onwards? He would have hit you over the head with the shovel. And then I'd say my final favourite Roy Keane at United moment. Oh, wow. I mean, look, 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 let's not, let's not bury the lead. Juventus, a captain's goal. I mean, there's a reason it's etched into every United fan's memories. Um, I think I've attached more lore to that moment. I mean, I think I watched it with my friends, but in my head, if you ask me, I'd say I watched it with my dad and I was wearing my first ever United kit and it still fit. And I tell you, the tears are welling in my eyes. And, and I don't know if any of that's true anymore, but I do know that when that goal went in, I just thought this player is Manchester United. In a way, I don't think I've felt about anybody since then. No, I just, I don't think anyone else has made me feel a connection to the team that I follow. I'm, you know, as a United fan from Ireland, you worry about the, am I going to enough games? Am I a day tripper? Am I a prawn sandwich fan? I live in London now and I follow United. That's dreadful. <laughs> you know, as I order an overpriced pint and a cheese toasty for 12 quid in a London, East London brewery pub. What the hell am I? But I still hold on to that memory and that connection, that moment, that Roy Keane captain's goal. And that, that will always be there for me, that, that connection to that team. And that will always be why that team is my team. Magic. Um, so where can the people listen? Where can the people find you? We're on, what should they do? We're on all the podcast platforms, uh, I think, probably. Just look for us. Uh, Roy Keane versus Owen uh, versus not VS, because that became a thing with some American fans of United. Um, yeah, have a look for us. Uh, we're on Twitter as well, where I'll post all the links to the episode updates. And I guess, you know, I'm, I'm sort of recording season two now. Um, is there a season three in the works? Potentially. So get in touch, listen to the podcast, see what you think I haven't done enough of. God knows I thought I'd done it all, but with Roy, you just never know. Maybe there is more. In fact, there definitely is more. Uh, so let me know what you did, like or didn't like. And, and, you know, and also let me know, am I right to think that Roy Keane is the greatest United player of all time? I mean, no, you're not. But, I'm just, but listen, I'm, okay. I'm going to hold on to it. It's okay, it's fine. But it's a debate I'm happy to have. No, so please okay. annoy me on Twitter. It's, abs it's absolutely fine to not recognise that it's Eric Cantona. <laughs> It can't be Cantona. The only thing I'd say about Cantona is, as much as I love Cantona, is Keane's longevity trumps the, like, instant impact of Cantona. I Cantona was there for five years, which is not an insubstantial it's period of time. True, that's true. And, and all of them were at a peak, apart from the nine months he missed. Yeah, but, um, but they were the peak for me. <laughs> I, I went to school the next day with my United kit on under my school shirt. Yeah. Because I've never been more like yeah, cocksure that United were the team yeah. than when Cantona did that. Like, oh my God. But yeah, this is the problem. 
this is the problem with Roy Keane and Eric Cantona. We could sit here in this car and debate this one for the next five years and still not have a definitive answer. No. Also, unfortunately, the answer's probably neither of them. It's yeah, I know, like yeah. Best it, it's, definitely, it's definitely Bobby Charlton, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But I, if Bobby Charlton was sat here, I'd still argue with him that it was Roy Keane. <laughs> All right, well, you should definitely uh, listen to Neil arguing with people that it's Roy Keane because it's extremely entertaining. And, and please, I want everyone especially to listen to the Arsenal episode because I had a brave Arsenal fan volunteer to make the case that Vieira was better. So, spoiler warning, like every episode, Neil asks the person listening whether it's Kane or Vieira. And even though it was an Arsenal fan, I was genuinely surprised when they picked Vieira because what what are you doing? Like, yeah. how, how... Anyway, let's not, we've just had this conversation. Well, you've got to have hours. a listen to it to find out why they... They made the case. I mean, they tried to make a case. Yeah, they, they made their incorrect case. Exactly. All right, thanks, Neil. Thank you, Paul. Very good. What he really needs to do, of course, is an episode on Roy Keane versus himself. And I think you'd be an ideal guest on that one. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's probably quite an important one. So there's two questions that he asks at the end of every episode. And um, the first one of those is Vieira or Keane? Obviously, that's not a real question because I presume you would go with the correct answer to that. I mean, just another of these false equivalences that we see in modern society. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But the other one would be, um, he's so obsessed with Roy Keane and he finds Roy Keane so fascinating that he's done now two seasons of a podcast about Keane. Who, other than Roy Keane, could you, in the world of football, could you see yourself dedicating uh, that much time to if you were to do a podcast about an individual player? Eric. Yeah, that was my answer too, and I'm just about that quickly as well. There's no doubt. There's there's five seasons worth. Mm. I'm rereading, and, and not just HBO twelve episode five seasons. Like, <laughs> the, the network TV twenty three episodes. I'm rereading Philippe Claire's book, and it's slightly painful reading just because. Whew, Man, that is uh, that book is written. That is that is some writing with a capital W in that book. Um, but the content is is once again fascinating. Um, hmm. Everyone loves that book. I find it a little bit hard going because it's so florid and there's a lot of Latin thrown in. Um, but anyway, yeah, smug is it? I mean, listen, you said it. <laughs> You said that. That's that's the word choice that you used. Let, let, it was merely a question. Yeah, no, fine. Yeah, this laugh may be a laugh of recognition. Anyway, um, I'm, we're probably in no position to talk about that. Uh, but it's worth a read if you haven't read The Rebel Who Would Be King. I mean, listen, the title tells you everything you need to know about what to expect stylistically from the book. But it's definitely the best book anyone's written about Eric Cantona. All right. Well, great, great interview. And shall we move on to some listener questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Here's one for you. Barry Jones, BJ Receiver 1. Honestly, with a Twitter handle like that, I very (laughs) much doubt you are. But anyway. He he gave us tickets to the Newcastle game we went to together. Do you remember when you were drinking at 8am? He definitely is. Ladies man. What a nice guy Barry is. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) One from last week, he says... Uh, biggest game in Poch's career, and again, he bottled it, didn't he? Disgust. Well, actually, I suppose nearly bottled it against Fulham at the weekend. I mean, this is a bad, bad Fulham side that is definitely going down, uh, and it took uh, a piece of good fortune to win it right at the end. Uh, honestly, I was so gutted because what a weekend of results it would have been. I mean, we haven't really talked about this, but the fact that Chelsea lost to Arsenal is absolutely brilliant news for United because we're now 
within like touching is it three points no is it is it four it's three to chelsea and seven to tottenham yeah so it would have been three points to chelsea and no we're chasing third now i mean look look, we could get ahead of ourselves of course it is only seven games and there are tougher games to come we've got city and liverpool and chelsea and arsenal and whatever to come maybe chelsea yeah i think we've played chelsea twice but i can't remember that played chelsea and spurs yeah i don't remember Maybe we haven't played Chelsea twice. Have we played them at Old Trafford? I, I have no memory of any of this season, basically. I couldn't mm. I could tell you almost nothing about what's happened this season. All right. Uh yeah. Let's wonder why. Are you back on it, Paul? Are you are you have you uh, <laughs> you fallen off the wagon? No, it's just Jose Mourinho sucked all the joy out of my soul. So it was hard yeah. to concentrate. No, we're playing and, we are playing Chelsea again. We're playing. All right, them. so so tough games to come and so that you know bigger tests and all of that but Spurs have got horrendous injury problems Kane's not back till mid-March he won't be fit and probably until April uh, uh, who uh, Deli Ali's injured Son's off at the Asia Games they've got a pretty thin squad Arsenal are going to be Arsenal and blow it aren't they so there's there's plenty of reasons to believe that United can chase down third I mean um, it looks like third is uh, nowhere I know but, but it looks still. like it looks like Higuain um, is gonna sign for Chelsea. I think that's a big mistake. I think I think he's well over his peak. I mean, I, I well, okay, uh, maybe he's well over his peak, but he's a substantial upgrade on Morata or Giroud, no? And and it, playing Hazard as a false nine is not even slightly working. They need they need the goals for sure. Yeah. So I mean, you know, listen. If maybe maybe he's past his past his prime and he won't do anything, that'd be delightful. Um, but perhaps eight, eight goals this season. I mean, it's all right. I think that's what all our top scorers have got. But it's just there's like four different players that have got eight goals. I think. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I mean, the... like he's experienced. Never played in England. It's going to be a different type of football. Does he want to play up front on his own? Has done throughout his career. Sometimes, sometimes not. I, I would be really surprised if he comes in and uh, scores a ton of goals, but we'll okay. see. Good. Um, uh, to answer Barry's question, though, um, I think it's absolutely ridiculous to suggest that Poch bottled it, given that what he actually did was react to the way the game was going, dramatically change it in his team's favour tactically, and then witness his star striker miss a bunch of chances yeah. that he probably should have buried. Fair enough. Let's move on. Lucas underscore M United. Friend of the show, you've been writing a lot. Uh, How many more players do we need this summer to make United great again? Hashtag Mooga. (laughs) You just like the hashtag, didn't you? I do. Um, I don't don't even know how to answer this question. Uh, We need a right back, probably. Um, We definitely need... Say definitely, we almost certainly need a centre back and then one more defensive midfielder, and then and then I'm happy. Like if we if we somehow got those those positions all in, I'd be happy. But I just I suspect we're not going to buy a defensive midfielder. I suspect it's another season of Nemanja Matic next season. Yeah, really do need that defensive midfielder. Could do with it right now. I mean, people say we need a right winger. I'm. I'm not sure that that's something we desperately need because I think we we fill that gap in pretty well. It's, I think it's pretty rare that the problem with United's performance is like, oh, 
you know, we didn't have a right winger compared to like the impact of our flaky centre backs and the lack of defensive midfielder, of course. And a right back. Yeah, yeah. Although like Young Young's been great in this period of the season, but obviously he's not hmm. you know, he's not an elite right back, is he? No, and and he's thirty three years old, so we yeah. need another one. Uh yeah, a fair amount of, of uh players to move on. Uh, talk but, this week that um Fellaini may be going this transfer window and Damian may well as well. There's always talk that Fellaini might be going in this transfer window and he never goes. I believe it when I see it. I mean it has been notable how little he's played. I don't know if he's injured or whatever, but he hasn't he No, has he's just, just not the kind of player that fits into this, you know, rapid rapid team and fast passing and uh, you know he just just doesn't anyway on on a on a theme uh tish at tishang says how much deadwood could a woodwood chuck if a woodwood could chuck deadwood <laughs> several players i'd say that is a lovely lovely callback as well that is a that is like a six or seven year callback i think uh to to a rank cast question from a long long time ago um I reckon that we could get away with getting rid of Valencia, Fellaini, Jones. Anyone else that I've forgotten there? Valencia is definitely going to go. Uh, Jones is, yeah, a liability, but then so is Smalling. So, but Smalling's got a tw- is like Smalling twenty twenty two, so yeah, he's not true. going anywhere. True. So, so I think realistically, if we got rid of Valencia, Fellaini, and Jones, I'd be really happy with that. And if somehow we miraculously got rid of... I mean, I think he's not dead wood, but I also think there's every chance Romelu Lukaku's going to go somewhere in the summer. He should, for his own sake. And I think it would probably be... I don't know. It's a really difficult one, but I I kind of think United kind of need to do that in a way. Because you kind of... I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Romelu Lukaku should be moved on in the summer? Look, I think if a fit and informed Romelu Lukaku uh, and a confident Lukaku is in the team, he probably scores 30 goals a season. Does he fit into the style of play that Oli wants to play? Probably not. You know, he, he does tend to slow the game down, much as Matter and Fellaini do. We don't know that Oli's going to be the manager, though, so certainly nothing's going to happen this window, uh, and we'll see where we are in the summer. No, I meant in the summer, really. Like... Like, if you were calling it, do you, do you think that Romelu Lukaku will be a United player at the end of the summer 2019 transfer window? Yeah, probably. Um, for a couple of reasons, uh, or mainly financial, United yeah. are going to want quite a return on that £75 million fee. And he, he earns really high wages compared to uh, most of the rest of European football. Yeah, save for the elite clubs, and I don't think he's going to go to another elite club. So we'll we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, but your guess is yeah, he'll still be United. That'd be my guess too. But I I think there's interesting times ahead there because there's no way he should be getting in the side ahead of Marcus Rashford. No, Hermiston at Hermiston says if we sign Poch, will Spurs sign Holly? Holly with the how would that feel? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Interesting oh, thought man. experiment that one. I am so heavily on the hype train right now that the idea of anyone other than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer managing Manchester United next season is legitimately heartbreaking. Yeah, Eni Aloku, the um, England striker, England Juventus striker, uh, is uh, had wrote a piece in the Guardian saying, "Look, slow down a minute uh, with the uh, you know, it's, it's it's one thing 
having a manager who helps players feel good and they're getting a bump out of that is very another one saying, is this the manager who will devise the system that will win us the European Cup? And she has a point. She has a point. You know, I, do we, can we extrapolate from what we have seen for, from the last seven games that United could win the European Cup under Oli? I don't know. I don't know that we could under Poch, although I have a greater sense of... Of, of what he can achieve with his skills than I do about Ollie, who has done a very specific job over the last couple of months. I I know that that's true, but I do think the one thing that Ollie's got right is he's been a manager for a long time now, and he was a very very successful manager at Mulder to win the league twice in his first two seasons. Then comes back to Cardiff, it's a kind of a disaster. Mulder fall right off a cliff. Sosha comes back, finishes sixth, then fifth, then second, then second. So he's kind of rebuilt that team again. And now they're back competing with Rosenberg at, at the top of the Norwegian League. Now, I know that's not the same as winning the Champions League, obviously. Um, but the the thing about the like yeah it's different to that a manager that can make a team feel good is different than a manager that can devise the system to win the champions league that's true but i'm not entirely convinced that the answer to the question is Oli Solskjaer the manager who can um design the system that wins united the champions league i'm genuinely not convinced that the answer to that question is no like um i think the answer to that question is yeah i think he might be you know so that's where i'm at anyway all right, here's another one for you. At underscore Taylor Ben says, I've got the slightest feeling Mourinho may have been holding Paul Pogba back. Am I mad? <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love Ben. How you doing, Ben? Um, yeah, obviously. Quite a few questions about McTominay. I think we've uh, covered that one. How strange does it feel, asks Duncan Mitchell, that United are actually likeable at the moment? You see, this is the thing. Like the players have been likable for so long to me. This this crop of players, I, I I've liked them for a long time, and and yeah, it's brilliant. Oh, it's just brilliant. It is. Nicholas Lotter says back Solskjaer this window with a centre back to help him get us into the top four, or wait for a permanent manager. Well, you'd you'd obviously say back him because he's going to be the permanent <laughs> manager. Yeah, I mean. Uh, you wouldn't want to spend, I mean, if it's a top centre-back, and it's it's going to be a hefty purchase, whatever, to be an upgrade. And, you know, even on Phil Jones, it's still going to spend. <laughs> it's still going to be a lot of money. Still going to be a lot of money. You don't want to be in a situation where that lot of money isn't liked by the new manager. Even if you believe Mourinho that, uh, that uh, Mourinho said this uh, thing about, well, in Ferguson's time... Uh, no player was more important than the club. Look at him, he threw Beckham out of the club. and, and this Ignoring completely Ferguson's 13 titles had bought him quite a bank of credit. But anyway, anyway, um, <laughs> uh, minor quibble with that one. Um, and, and so like, even if you, if you believe that United could get to a situation where the new manager had enough clout to do that, it would put him in an awfully awkward position. But the thing is... You presumably we're not talking about like taking a punt on someone some United scout somewhere thinks is possibly gonna make it, but we're talking about uh you know a Kulibali or something along those lines of like absolutely top level proven. Who's gonna who's gonna be bought 
that Solskjaer would benefit from that the next manager is going to go, ah, I think he's rubbish, you know? True, but there's a couple of assumptions in there that managers aren't fickle about players because yeah. they bloody are. Yeah, uh, yeah, and yeah. two, that Edward would, would get the right player because yeah. he thinks he's identifying transfer targets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a couple of questions. Uh, how good does it feel, says Luke Dissect, MUFC. <laughs> Who's at the wheel, says Avik Patel. <laughs> she feels so good. She feels so good. And... When we were playing so well in the first half and everyone was singing that chant and everyone's singing, how good does it feel? Tell me, how good does it feel? You know, the answer really is it feels absolutely amazing in a really, like, meaningful and moving way. It feels mint. Like, it's so good. It's nothing, right? This is a team, we're well, a team that's, you know, how many, both you and I watched all 13 of those champions, uh, championship wins. We've won two Champions Leagues in our lifetime. You know, we won the Europa the Europa League and we've won the Cup Winners' Cup and we've had loads of amazing FA Cup multiple times and stuff. But, but just for sheer feel-good factor, it feels really, really, really good. Friend of the show, Chris Etchingham, says, would you take Ollie winning every league game until the end of the season if it meant Liverpool winning the league as a trade-off? <laughs> well, hang on a minute. If we win every league game until the end of the season, are we not in for a shout on the title? <laughs> I don't think we are. Um, uh, Chris just wants us to talk about Liverpool, and I don't want to, so I refuse to answer. Let's talk about if we win every league game until the end of the season. Yeah. Will Mo Salah stop diving? <laughs> and will Liverpool stop blatantly match-fixing? <laughs> oh, just... Oh, oh my Honestly. God. They're pretty Honestly. lucky against Brighton. Pretty lucky against Brighton. Against Palace. I mean, Salah didn't dive to get a penalty this time. But the Bright, uh, sorry, the Palace keeper chucked one in his own net. <laughs> Absolutely disgraceful. It's, it's hard to chuck it in his own net from that angle, but he managed it. I mean, it was impressive. Yeah. I check that guy's I, bank account. If we win every game from now until the end of the season, we get another forty-five points and put us on eighty-nine. Probably wouldn't be enough to win the league in this year, but it no. win the league in quite a few years. Yeah, absolutely, but probably not this one. Not going to happen this year. And also, we're probably not. Probably, I only say probably. We're probably not going to win every game between now and the end of the season. Although it's hard to imagine anything other than a sweet, sweet W when United take the field. Creamfield Twinkie says, can you make an 11 out of our Deadwood, a.k.a. Deadwood FC, and where would they finish in the league? Good question, this one. I don't think we've got enough Deadwood to make a proper 11, but we could go a second string. Who is second choice in every position and how right. good are they? All right, so no, let's, we're trying to pick the worst the worst possible 11 out of United squad. Oh, but is that the players, worst possible 11? Yeah, but with the players in their rightful position. Players you know, in like, their rightful position. I have to be part of the first team squad. No youthies to fill no, it out. No. So Lee Grant... Lee it's worse Grant. than Sergio Romero, even oh, though yeah. I love you. Sergio Romero is better than most of the goalkeepers in the division. Yeah, mad respect Flappy, for Lee Grant. Flappy Serge has improved a lot. Honestly, he should he should go and be someone's first choice goalkeeper. I do not know what he's doing, but anyway, um, it's glad it's I'm, good that I'm, he doesn't. I'm going to guess he's got a good wage. Antonio Valencia at right back. I yeah. Guess, well, I is guess... he? No, I don't know. Damian there. He's going to give him a run for his money. No, we played Damian at left back because he's played. He's played a lot of left back. Yeah, he's played a lot. We, of have, we haven't got. A, we haven't got a Deadwood left back. The dynamic duo is Smalling and Jones in the middle. 
Yeah, I mean, it's slightly harsh to call them Deadwood, but they are a, they're a problem. Uh, Centre of the park, I guess I'm sorry about this, but your boy Scott McTominay's probably got to be there alongside Marouane Fellaini in a two. Oh, oh. Uh, um, dynamic. Yeah. I'm not sure we've got any... Forward Deadwood. Well, it's Alexis Sanchez. Yeah, Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku. But he's not Deadwood, really, but he's just he's just not up to the yeah, Marcel we're two, Rashford we're, standards. We're two players short. Yeah, so that's not that's not far off. So we, we can make a Deadwood. No, they've had two men sent off. <laughs> Alexis Sanchez is definitely captain of that team. No, yeah. no, no, no. Sorry, Antonio <laughs> Valencia is captain. Oh, of given course. that he's our actual captain and he's the deadest of the Deadwood. Fill it out with another couple, and it's still, it's look, that team would still finish in mid table. Would it? Yeah. Yeah. It with would. Lee, Lee Grant behind Smalling and Jones. Yeah. And Alexis Sanchez up front. <laughs> <laughs> that, that team would get relegated because there's only nine players. No, 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 no. You fill it out with it's 11. M- McTominay and Fellaini in the centre of midfield in protecting Smalling and Jones and Grant. With Antonio Valencia at right back, that team is getting super relegated. Okay, you've got time on your hands. You go plug that into uh, Championship Manager. <laughs> Run that season. I love you, the way use the editor. I, I I do not have time on my hands. <laughs> Nate Dunning says, "Who would you put in a team of past players that are currently managers? Giggsy and Ollie, surely. Who else? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean." Not a lot of successes on the management front. No, but, no, but, but plenty of Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce, yeah. he's still a manager, and he? he just got sacked by Villa. But you know, he still counts. Have we got any goalkeepers? Jim Layton never took up managing, did he? No. Mm, I don't... Tony Coton's a coach. Does he count? Was I mean, a coach. Yeah. Did Van... oh Van der Sar's director of football? Van der Sar, that counts. Yeah. So we'll have we'll have Van der Sar. Um, pretty good there. Any United right backs? Paul Pogba never went into coach. He went to went into Gary, sniping. Uh, uh, Gary Neville, sorry, Gary you, Neville. By, by the way, he was manager just, for like five games. You just called Paul Parker Paul Pogba, I Paul think. Pogba, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, Gary Neville managed, so he plays at right back. Phil Neville at left back. Um, not, not a manager. Oh, he's a manager. God, I'm having yeah. a mare here. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. a manager. Yeah. So Steve, Steve Bruce alongside. Did Mike Phelan ever play centre-back? Nah, midfielder. Okay. Well, then in that case, he can partner... No, Brian Robson and more Roy Keane in the centre of midfield. Oh, oh with Giggsy to the left. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nick, well, Nicky Butt could be in there. I mean, he's, you know, he's coached it. He's coached it. He's managed at under-18 level. But we've got... I don't think Nicky... Nicky Butt, as within real life, is not going to get in the side ahead of Roy Keane. No, he's not. Um, he's so, not, but anyway. Maybe a three in midfield with three up front. Okay, yeah. So up front, you've got... But that means you're playing gigs up front. So gigs... Oh, inside Mark, left. Mark Hughes. Mark Hughes. Oh, yeah. What a player. Never forget, never forget what a good footballer Mark Hughes was just because of everything that's happened since. Just because he's a bitter, bitter man. I mean, Bobby Charlton, I think, had one very brief spell at management. Um. Uh, it's a difficult one. Difficult one, unless we've forgotten someone really obvious, which we probably have. But anyway, that'll do. We got to 10. And it, it's 10 with Roy Keane in it is like 11. So. Uh, Henny Eric Berg Can- went into management, didn't he? Eric, Eric, Eric Cantona's managed at beach football teams, so he can play up front. Lauren Blanc has 
being a manager as well. He could no he could, mm-hmm. banned for racism and homophobia <laughs> and sexism. I don't think he was a homophobe, was he? No, Although, I, I he probably, stopped... if he's holding the racist views, he's probably a homophobe too. I mean, I stopped. I, I I said it, but I didn't mean to say. It. I meant to say sexism. Anyway, plenty, pretty good team. Pretty good. Yeah, team. really good team. I mean, not, I'm not sure it's a coherent eleven, but it's got Brian Robson and Roy Keane at the heart of midfield, so it's fine. All right, plenty of questions there. Shall we move on to a preview of United's upcoming eighth victory in a row, this time over Arsenal? <laughs> um, so we are probably not going to do a podcast between Arsenal and Burnley, and I feel like my preview for the Burnley game is, apart from just briefly noting that Burnley have actually been playing much better than their results would suggest, um, or certainly creating a lot more chances than their results would suggest recently, which is hilarious given that last season they basically uh, Did outperformed, the yeah, outperformed every possible data point by a million billion miles. Um, they've, they've been beating teams around them though, so they beat Huddersfield, they beat Fulham, yeah, so. big, De- decent draw with Watford at the weekend. Yeah, I think so. They've they're kind of they're not going to go down, but I think we'll just have too much firepower for them and that's kind of reductive but it was the case against Brighton I think it'll be the case against Burnley but before you're going to complain about us being reductive over (laughs) match previews but let's let's try and be they could still go down I mean you know they're only three points ahead of the relegation zone I just think they're they're better and playing better than a lot of those other teams I mean I, I hey I mean here's a prediction uh, a bold one. Huddersfield, Fulham and Cardiff, the three worst teams in the division by miles, are going to go down. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably a pretty, pretty fair representation. Um, yeah, anyway, so um, let's, do, let's do something that's a sort of slightly less reductive preview of the Arsenal game. I mean, you said Arsenal are kind of reborn now, thanks to that uh, victory over Chelsea, but probably worth pointing out that the immediate predecessor to that game saw them lose to West Ham United at West Ham. Yeah, um, not absolutely smashed by Liverpool a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they lost to Southampton in, in, in the middle of December. Like Basically, all their fans hate Emery as far as I can work out. Um, Chelsea were just completely dreadful at the weekend. Just so thoroughly Van Harlyan. Like they, they really were. And Sarri then took it upon himself to just lambast all the players and said it's very hard to motivate them. And mate, mate, sorry, mate, your job. I mean, it, it is his job. And it is. This was thoroughly Mourinho-esque, obviously. But, I mean, he has got a point vis-a-vis that this particular Chelsea squad's last five years, which has been a story of them doing all right and then going, oh, can't be bothered anymore, don't like it. Michelangelo's painting the Sistine Chapel. He's like, I don't like the brushes and the paint's not much cop either. No, No, but like, you're always saying this is a Chelsea side that relentlessly cheat their manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Well, they certainly cheated Jose Mourinho, but then again, we saw saw quite what motivates players to do that. But they cheated Conte as well. I mean, although that is also completely understandable, but... You know, anyway, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know the inside of 
Chelsea and what he's like. I mean, maybe he's uh, and sort of in-kind manager and they've grown tired of him already. I mean, it's very quick, isn't it? Since they had a very good start to the season, were playing very nice football and Giorgino was supposed to have reinvented football yet again. I mean, there is a there's an interesting line of thinking about Giorgino, which is, or maybe this is more about the, the press in this country, latching on to the next shiny thing. And then we work out that, hmm, yeah, he makes a lot of passes, but what does he do with them? One, and f*** me, he's slow. I mean, just run past him. <laughs> can't pass the ball when you can't see it. I mean, Arsenal Arsenal were very physical against Chelsea in terms of pressing and... Um, yeah, yeah, and really noticeable that was. Yeah, yeah uh, so uh, I guess they'll try and do that to us too, which could be quite effective because I'm not sure how press resistant the money Matic is and if United don't get their kind of pass and move game out of midfield right um, that could get a little bit ugly because even though Arsenal have got the softest of soft underbellies um, they have got an awful lot of talent going forward in in Lacazette and Aubameyang like that Lacazette goal was an absolute uh, peach of a goal yeah I mean he's uh, he's having a decent season isn't he uh, and perhaps Maybe he's better than uh, many people around Europe thought. I mean, he was everyone's second choice, wasn't he, a couple of years ago? So he's, he's uh, I don't know how many goals he got this season. I mean, he's, he's, maybe he's up to 10, I'm not sure. Um, but he's doing all right. And uh, Bamiyang has got 14. So there you go. They've, they're definitely, they definitely could cause us some problems. I do agree about the pressing. Uh, it's not just in midfield, though. It's our back four. They've got to move the ball out of, out of, uh, out of the back four, neat and tidily. Uh, one thing I would say, though, is United are quite prepared to go direct, if necessary, under Oli, and and it might be a good tactic actually uh, to get at those uh, those centre backs. Although they both played pretty well at the weekend, I'd say uh, Arsenal centre backs. It hadn't always been the case, has it? So I mean, like, I'm re- I'm looking forward to this one. I think it should be a really good game. I don't think United have shown any hint of wanting to shut games down. Uh, under Oli, they're going to go for it much like they did against Spurs at Wembley, uh, which should lead us to a really exciting cup tie. Yeah, it absolutely should. And and I wonder um, whether the two managers will take a different approach in terms of prioritisation because um, it, it, they're, they're obviously in almost identical positions, except Solskjaer's got the kind of free hit of being a caretaker manager. Um, but like in the league, we're what two or three goals separated, chasing the exact same fourth place. Um, I, I, I mean, I'd be very, very surprised if United do anything other than play their absolute full strength team with uh, with Burnley at home being the subsequent fixture. I mean, obviously Burnley at home is pretty hot off the hot off the back of this because I think it's on Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, but you know it's it, it, it's it's still but it's a, it's at home it's a less intense game yeah i mean look he's got a shot at a, a trophy here it's united's best shot at a trophy I don't and i turn that down arsenal's next game after us is at home against cardiff so really almost identical position in the league and yeah. almost identical fixtures up after this game so i think we're going to see the both sides best side and the tactical the tactical piece is interesting as well because arsenal played diamond at the weekend uh and it, it pretty well it worked for them i'd say i mean ramsey came off with 20 30 minutes ago or something like that um and it sort of altered the shape but they're, they're pretty determined to play two up front 
how does that impact how United are going to play? Are they going to go 1v1? Do they sit another player in the middle there and uh, pack um, pack midfield a bit? Do they take the gamble like they did against Spurs and and go with fewer men in midfield but put pressure on the the opposing defence? I don't think uh, I don't think you're going to pull Koscielny and Socrates around quite as much, but they're they're not quick either of them, you know. So pace could could be a factor, uh, especially on the break. You know, the the transition could be really effective for United. I wonder if he'll play Lingard as false nine again, or whether he'll say, well, actually, given that we're not going to pull them around, play Lingard, but but kind of have him like hassle the base of the diamond basically to kind of try and create turnovers in that well, way. Well, Jack is having a good season, isn't he? And and uh Torreira looks like a terrific player and Guendouzi is is adapted to the uh the Premier League pretty quickly. I mean very up and down Guendouzi has, has been as you'd expect from a player that young but you yeah Torreira although Torreira was world class dreadful against Liverpool um but uh, you'd imagine this game will be very different. I mean the atmosphere is going to be amazing, isn't it? Cuz Although United's allocation is kind of disgracefully low, in fact, um, given that uh, I think smaller teams get something like 10,000 at the Mm -hmm. Emirates and Arsenal keep cutting the big teams uh, down to somewhere around 5,000. Using safety as a concern. Yeah. 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 Economics, I think, is the term. (laughs) Well, is it it economics or is it it actually about... um, Or is it... You're saying it's economics because they can sell more... Home tickets at a higher price is that is that what it is? Yeah, and they have to pay for less policing. Right. Okay. Yeah, I see. I wondered whether it's actually they they try not to um, try not to weight the atmosphere in the stadium too heavily against their side because ten thousand away United supporters, you're not going to hear any Arsenal fans, are you? For um, that's going to feel like I, I mean, I do, game. I do, I do feel like this is a this is a trend the FA and the Premier League should get involved in. This is what makes football in England special. You know the culture of a waste, but you don't get it in Spain. You get it. I've been to lots of matches in Spain. And you get about three hundred away fans, mm. even for Barcelona against Real Madrid at Camp Nou. And you know the FA Cup's particularly special because you get like whole ends of away fans. Which... Right. I mean, it always used to be twenty five percent of the the ground was away fans, and it was supposed to be even more than the nine or ten percent you get in the league. Yeah, this is amazing. But it feels like another a different world now because, you know, there's obviously many fewer away fans in the league than there used to be, aren't there? Um, but yeah, anyway, there's going to be a ton, a ton of United fans in that ground, home and away ends, I'm sure. Um, and Friday night under the lights, really, really big game. And, and I, I mean, this is complete gambler's fallacy, right? This is because it's come up red over and over again. You're kind of expecting it to come up black eventually. And we've won one, one, you know, you win every game. Presumably at some point there comes a game that we don't win. Could it be this one? Is this is this the game that's going to end the incredible winning streak? Well, it could be. And, and Arsenal certainly have the assets to cause United problems. They are a good side. They... You know, they, yes, they've had a up and down season, but they did have that long unbeaten run before. They won seven in the league on the spin at one stage. Fair warning, it can go wrong after seven in seven wins in a row. Um, and but but they're not in a great position. You know, they are under. We're putting them under pressure in the league, and not everyone loves Emery. 
Yeah, because even even when they were winning loads of games, they they well, I haven't seen that much of it, but all I've heard about it is that they weren't playing well, and that's from Arsenal fans as much as non-Arsenal fans. So it's going to be fascinating. To, to I mean, be I... fair, they haven't really played well for about twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, um, and and you know. We've just beaten Spurs away, and Spurs are a much better side than Arsenal. So, you know that 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 tells some sort of story. And mm. I, I guess, I guess that the only thing to fear really is is a a, ret- a, a return to the kind of drop off after the hour mark that we've seen in the last two games. Because you know one of the features of Arsenal's um, good run was that they they played very well in a lot of second halves, um, and you know they've got a lot of running and a lot of athleticism in that in that side. Um, so we can't afford to drop off in intensity in this game, I would say, unless we're hoping for another De Gea masterclass. And although Kane is obviously better than Lacazette and Aubameyang, um, uh, he wasn't on form that day. And if either of those two are in form from a finishing perspective, then they're likely to put the ball a little bit further away from Dave and make him have to work a bit harder for those saves. He loves the Emirates, though, doesn't he? He does. He absolutely does. And so do United, so, you know. I find it hard to be. I'm nervous. I'm nervous about this one, but not terrified by it. All right, predictions for this week's games. Oh, I don't want to do it. Uh, one nil win to United oh, at the Emirates. Yes. Um, it's going to be more goals than that. It's going to be a. It's going to be a scorcher. I'm going to three two victory for United. All right, lovely. I'll take that um, in extra time. Do we get extra time yet? Who knows? Can't I don't even know we get replays anymore. I think they banned them. I think they were banned. Um, and then. Home to Burnley, ah, 3-0, you know what? Got to come back good at some point. So uh, after after only winning the last two games by one goal, uh, got to predict at least one 3-0 win this week. I'm going to say 2-0 to United, whatever. All right. Sounds Very good. good. Um, so uh, thank you for listening and uh, we'll be back with another one of these after the Burnley game uh, next week. All right. Well, you can catch me on Twitter. You can catch Paul on no social media at all, except for maybe Instagram. I've got an Instagram account. Have you? Very good. All right. You can uh, drop us a review at iTunes so others can find the show. And we'll see you in a week's time. The Rankcast is, as always, brought to you by the good people that choose to back us at patreon.com slash Rankcast. If you back us at $5 a month plus VAT, I think it is, um, then uh, you get access to some bonus content. And this week we talked about young players that we got super excited about while they were coming through the academy. But Pogba, Pogba. Ryan Tunnicliffe, and especially, and I mean especially, Ravel Morrison. The one that got away out of all of them. I swear when I'm 90 and I've got great-grandkids... I'll be like, Ravel. <laughs> he was the one. You were the chosen one. And sadly, Ravel will be not remembered as a great professional footballer, I guess. And it's just bananas, isn't it? It's just how he's not how he's not an all-time legend. <laughs> Such a shame. And and you know. It is hard to be a professional footballer. It's really hard. Um, It shouldn't be assumed that talent will get you there, obviously. Um, Just watching Ravel glide with the ball, it it just seemed impossible. You know, we'd heard heard about so many kind of Ferguson man management triumphs by that point. 
that it seemed impossible that he wouldn't be able to pull it off once again. Yeah, no, I know. And 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 as we've spoken about on this podcast before, Fergie was the last to admit that Ravel was a lost cause for good reason. Just, just so beautiful to watch. Just floating around. He could do anything with the ball.